0: My name is Ria. I'm a senior in high school in like Central Jersey. So yeah, I've been involved in politics ever since I was like a freshman in high school. Um, it's my like all-time hobby I like to say. I am uh, founded a bipartisan politics club at my school where we have like open forums between Democrats and Republicans. I'm very, very interested in foreign policy. That's one of my big passions. And then I interned at I still intern at an international law and Justice Center in New York. Very cool that does like human rights advocacy. I'm a moderate, I tend to lean left, but I'm pretty moderate in my political views. And I'm currently interning for conservative think tank in, based in Jersey. That was created by Chris Christie's chief of staff. I'm currently working on a very big research report on why uh, New Jersey students don't stay in Jersey after they get their undergraduate degree. Yeah, so like definitely. I would say migration, and it's a lot about like job growth, economic infrastructure, and yeah, it's pretty cool. I get to give presentations and give reports in. And, That's so
1: awesome. Okay, so I'm Olivia. I am a junior at Fieldston, which is a school in New York Riverdale. City. Uh, yeah, in Riverdale. Oh, um,
2: wow. to live right <laughs> nearby.
1: So I kind of got involved in politics in my attempt to end the bipartisan divide in my school, or rather kind of the liberal echo chamber that existed. It seemed very, very one-sided, and yet I knew a lot of my peers didn't have the same opinions that my school perpetuated. And it really upset me because I felt people were being silenced and were being ostracized for thinking differently, which is not a crime. I think it's one of the most incredible things about being an American. And so that's kind of how I got involved in NGP. And then from there, I started a chapter at my own school and became the director of outreach and engagement for the organization, kind of trying to help what I did at my school and allow that to flourish in other schools. And what we do in my uh, chapter is we've brought in like one example that I love using is on gun control, the CEO of a gun manufacturer and a March for Our Lives organizer, not to debate each other, but just to kind of tell their stories. because and I think as you can talk about with Better Angels, is one of the most powerful tools we have.
2: That, that was a great idea. That was a terrific thing to do.
1: Thanks. And then I kind of did that on a more macro scale this summer. I was at Seeds of Peace. Having that experience of not only being in a room of people that are political enemies, quote unquote, but actually in a constant state of war yep. with Israelis, Palestinians, Jordanians, Egyptians, and then being one of the lucky few Americans that could be there.
2: I was just in both Israel and Jordan. Oh, awesome! And and it was very interesting in terms of how um, some of each group or tribe, if you want to call them that, because we're kind of in a very tribal universe these days, are really trying extremely hard, adults as well, to work together and come together in a a peaceful manner. So, again, you guys are doing some such great things. When I was in high school, I was worried about getting home and playing ball.
1: Yeah, with that, can you like tell us a little bit about your involvement in Better Angels and your Sure, um, more
2: holistic. I, I'm I'm what we call a, um, a co-chair of a local alliance. I was introduced to Better Angels about this time last year. I saw in a newspaper they were going to have a workshop about this bipartisan group that was trying to bring both, pe- both sides of the political spectrum together. And uh, I sort of a- agree with both of you. I'm sort of, I lean more blue, but I'm, I've always been much more of a pragmatic person than an ideologue. And so Mm -hmm. it just depended on, you know, more issue oriented situations in terms of what kind of decisions I would make. So I got interested in this and I went to what was called a red blue workshop. And we did a lot of interesting dialogues and uh, exercise to get to better understand our points of view and to also get to better understand the other side's point of view in a very strict protocol so nobody was jumping down anybody's throat which is the key to all of this is having a protocol where the time is respected and voice is respected and people are listening to each other. So I got introduced to that. And at the end of the workshop, you know, we were kind of all getting ready to go. I said, so what's next? Is this just a one-time deal? And somebody says, oh, I'm glad you brought that up because we have, (laughs) well, you should have brought it up yourself, but but then I said, okay, so what happens next? And they said, well, you could form a local alliance. What's that? Well, a smaller group, uh, people, you know, that come at this workshop can meet together on a regular basis and uh, do some of our activities or do deep dives into specific issues, as I gather you guys have done, uh, like with the gun Mm -hmm. control thing, and uh, talk about them. And again, following the protocols, listen to each other, with the goal being that you don't have to convince the other people that you're right. The Mm -hmm. goal is really to understand who they are what they believe in and how they got there. And so with that in mind, there's no convincing, but there's this incredible movement to the center sort of magically, except it's not magic. It's just the work of people listening to each other and understanding where they come from. So that's my one role. I was a representative to the National Conference in in, uh, St. Louis, where I learned a lot about other things and where I saw that conversation I mentioned before, which was absolutely fascinating, where I took part in a one, what they call a one-to-one workshop, where this 6'5", 200 pound, former teacher and football coach with a really loud voice when he gets passionate about something, sat together in a room with a woman who was older than I, small, frail, and from the cornfields of Iowa, in an ironically named town called Urbandale, which had about 150 people in it. And what we found as we went through this very interesting protocol, we learned more about each other and our backgrounds, and how we evolved to where we were politically, and found we had far more in common than either one of us would have believed. And then when we talked about what our own grievances were, about our own side, We both agreed that the extremes on our own side were driving everybody further apart and that the extremes were the squeaky wheel, you know, kind of like running what's going on. And that we were both very frustrated by the fact that people who were more pragmatic, who were leaning more centrist, who were liberal, not progressive, Republican, Mm -hmm. we had a greater problem with people on our own side than people on the other side because of our experience and how they kind of led to more problems down the road. And so just to finish quickly, tomorrow, uh, one of the people in my alliance and I are going off to Connecticut to talk to the social studies um, teachers of Connecticut. They have an annual conference and we're gonna talk to them about bringing Better Angels into their civics programs in their high schools.
1: That's so awesome. So that's keep cool. that in
2: mind because we could come to your guys' school and see if that might be of interest to augment what you're doing, either on a social club level yeah. level or classroom level, either way, yeah. with student that, leaders.
0: That would be like, I think that's, that's great because I feel like there's not a lot of national bipartisan organizations have uh, like a base to them because like, I know, when, I'm sure Olivia had the same experience when we were, starting up like our clubs and starting our chapters there was a lot Mm -hmm. there was a lot lack of uh, support i guess if that's the right word to like get it you know rolling
2: yeah well just so that you know we're in all 50 states over the course of the three or so years that this has been in, in existence. Uh, conducted over 500 workshops. There are 60 state coordinators and there are 41 alliances like the one that I'm in. That's
1: awesome. Some, nice.
2: some in small areas like Westchester and others, for example, uh, in Dallas, the whole city of Dallas has an organization. Yeah. Better Angels. So, you know, there's, uh, there's quite a lot of work to do. There are a couple of other groups that kind of do the same thing. Um, And so there's no competition between us. It's all a matter of trying to accomplish the same goal.
1: Yeah. Every political conversation that's ever had is we talked about media bias and media literacy and oftentimes how the extremists really drive the conversation, but represent such a small portion of the actual, you know, constituents that develops this active resentment of the other side. And also this confusion with your own political identity, like claim I'm a liberal, if I claim I'm a conservative why don't I look like these people or why don't I act well, like them? Well, it's also
2: the piece of, I claim I am, therefore I have to prove to everybody how much of that I am. Yeah. Even if it means going to an extreme. And so interesting, because I'm still in touch with this woman that I met. Uh, her name is Carol from uh, Iowa. She just sent me an email with a with a YouTube video from a group called Verse. And they were pointing out in a very short, I think it's five or seven minute video, how Google is collecting data to kind of manipulate decision making along the way not just for now but for future generations almost as if they're trying to create a database version of DNA that's that's a huge that's a huge thing and you know and every now and then you know I go on Facebook and I go on Twitter and I start looking and I said okay I got to shut this off because I can't deal with this mess and then there are other times where I'm saying okay somebody just has to keep trying to be the voice of reason in here and maybe someone else will pick it up if you guys can do this starting in high school and then you know as juniors and seniors in high school and then you know you're you're the little pebble in the pond right and you start the ripple and you start the ripple effect that that you know expands and until it hits the shores where the adults are hanging out you know that's our hope and so that you know you guys can continuously try to do that and we can help you whenever and wherever we can and better angels can be a help to either of you and other people that you know who are trying to accomplish these goals we're here for you
1: yeah i have noticed like a big difference between what better angels does and what ngp does in trying to achieve the same goal is that better angels has been a lot bigger of a proponent of labeling in terms yeah. of self-identifying as i am red i am blue and then i read about how you have conversations within those circles of the blue speaking to the red and yes, concentric yes, yes,
0: yes. whereas
1: we and i've Read a lot of other organizations. I've been more conscious in not labeling, allowing that to show a connected humanity. I think both are really effective. But why do you think that Better Angels chose to do this?
2: I had the very same question because when I, I understood it when we did the red blue workshop, because then you know it was like a part of the mechanism. People mm-hmm. divide themselves up into their groups. They can understand who they are and then they can explain who they are to the other side and they can question the stereotypes they have about each other and they have about the other side. Yeah. So I understood it in, a, a, as part of that workshop that self-identity is important in understanding part of who you are and why you believe what you believe. And so I was okay with it. And then we went to, this, to the um, conference. And um, again, I, I, I noticed that as, as you did, that it seemed to be the basis of a lot of the things that were done. And so when we went there, we were given our our name tags and we had lanyards, and the lanyards were colored red and blue. And so it was an interesting thing because um, one of the things that the Better Angels organization is very concerned about is that people who identify themselves as Republicans, conservative Reds tend to feel very defensive because yeah. they're on the attack always, and mm-hmm. so we were in the elevator in the dorm where we were staying, and, and kind of like as a rush to get the elevator. So there's five of us are in the elevator, and we hear footsteps running down the hall to get the elevator. We hold the elevator door. A guy comes in, he's panting, he says, "Thanks for holding the door." Closes. The door closes, and he realizes he's the only red in the elevator. And he says, "Uh oh, I hope I'm safe in here." Now, <laughs> that's problematic. That shouldn't happen. You know, but then we could reassure him that, yes, we were going to let him get off at his floor and he would still be alive. So, (laughs) you know, he's lucky. Yeah. You know, he was he was. But he was uh, that was the concern. I think it's done primarily because of the nature of the kinds of workshops that people identify themselves and they label themselves as a member of a particular group without using political nomenclature. Basically, I think that's it. So instead of saying Republican, progressive, liberal, conservative, pragmatic, moderate, centrist, whatever it is, it's as simple as okay, if you're on this side of the line, gonna, we're going to call you guys a blue. If you're on that side of the line, we're going to call yourselves a red. But, but the goal is to have each side listen to each other. And I think that's really what the, what the, what the purpose of the mechanism is. It's not perfect, but I, but I think it works in trying to say, hey, I now understand what that side's talking about.
1: <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. It's just as a, a very staunch centrist and, you know, when I, for a while, I had a conversation with my parents a couple nights ago about registering to vote and registering my party affiliation and I frankly don't want to. And that, independent. yeah, an independent or, but I think it just, it's so difficult, especially with the pri- close primary system so many states have and where, if I was to join a better angels, where would I fit into that?
2: um, it, it, you would have to self-declare, right. And so it's interesting because a, a lot of us have actually called ourselves purple. But if you know anything about the color purple, uh, not Alice Walker's version, but if you know anything about the color purple, there are wide varieties of what that color can look like. Yeah. Uh, from a very blue purple to a very red purple, all right? And so that's also, that's where you are. That's, pro- that's probably where I am. That's where my co- chair in my alliance has already declared himself to be right he says i'm really purple and i go that's okay you know but for for our purposes we just kind of have to identify but what's interesting about what you said when i taught um for for a lot of years i taught in a program called civic education and it was actually a, it, it was actually an interdisciplinary program english social studies and a guidance component and it had student leaders and senior leaders and it was, to help, it was for ninth graders who were new to the high school to help them become acclimated and, become, and, and grow emotionally and socially, not just academically. Um, and what we used to do is we used to run, not debates, but conversations and discussions. And I actually wanna get back to debate versus discussion in a second. And so what we would do is we would uh, have a topic or a resolution or a statement, and then you would have to be either for or against it or unsure and they would sit accordingly right in the room and then one side would speak and another side would speak and there would be a response and and another response not a rebuttal because we're not there were no rebuttals yeah you would have to speak positively for your side not negatively against the other side and then we would say okay time to vote with your feet and we would literally give them time to stand up and move in the room So one could move from the right to the left or the right to the middle or the middle to the right, wherever it was. And then by the time the conversation was over, you know, we left the room and said, well, what was it that made you change your opinion about this? And what was was the cause? What was the part of the conversation to do that? So that's another mechanism to do it. It's literally called voting with your feet. Yeah, and, and, and so that's something that I think also we can incorporate because sometimes when need to take Better Angels workshops and you do things for adults. They don't necessarily work in high schools the same way. So you have to be a little bit more inventive and a little bit more engaging in how things are, are done. Mm-hmm. I would actually like to try that out with my adults. And see, so, it, it was, but I would you know need a large enough group and say, okay, let's try it this way without trying to say, we're not trying to convince you to change your mind. You're just mm-hmm. listening. And as you listen, how do you, cha- how do you feel about what it is that you've heard? And as a result of that, um, have, you done, have you altered the way you think about it? And what's interesting is that when people see, literally, visually, other people getting up and moving, it changes their perspective on the idea of changing their mind, because then it's okay. And people need to know it's okay to change their minds yeah unfortunately that's the state of mind we're in is people will get we're calcitrant. they don't want to change their minds so that was cool so the other thing about debate versus discussion one of the things that better angels discovered is that we have a a, a thing we're doing uh we've done it in colleges we're going to try to do it in high schools we've done it in, in adult groups called the better angels debate but it's really not a debate it's not a competitive debate it's not like you're trying to win it's just trying to yeah. form it's a formal way of getting people hear what you're trying to say so I said well and they asked me to give some input because they knew I had taught for 38 years and done all these kinds of things one of which I mentioned to you and so they asked me for my feedback and I said so why are you calling it a debate it's not and they go because when we did a test of language reds like the word debate more than the word discussion and we want to get more reds involved
1: it's interesting
2: that's why they're called debates when they're really not
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not like an invalid reason. I think everyone wants involvement and representation. It's just a funky way of getting there. At NGP and the civic forums we do, it's really interesting. We have this, it's called Mm deliberation because we think obviously it's not a debate. A debate is you're, you're listening to hear the flaws of the other side. You're only trying to quote unquote win, just sway people to your side, Mm -hmm. which isn't the purpose. That's not why you're convening in that space. We also thought that discussion it is interesting because it almost sires this notion of complacency, of like, we're just going to sit there and pat you on the back for having an opinion. So, yeah, I, I think that that's a good point to
0: make. And uh, something, I think it, it can hurt a little bit when we label like so staunchly. You know, recently in the news has been um, Pelosi. So she finally backed impeachment, right? But she does, she does when she throws her support behind specific candidates um, for the House, she recently backed a very, very center-leaning Democrat from who's representing a district in New York, and she got a lot of backlash for it. He's, um he's pro-life, he's not pro-choice, that's like a big factor for Democrats, things like that, and there's a lot of backlash, and they were saying, you know, um, like you're not a true democrat i personally so like i you know identify with a lot of Pelosi's, a lot of her political opinions a little, a little her political views and in my mind i was like so am i not considered you know a democrat because i might have specific ideas about climate change i might have specific views about gun control that is not shared you know in the mainstream party this,
2: this goes back to what olivia said before about the Twitter sphere running the world.
0: It's
1: you know, exactly. the
2: Twitter sphere that would not identify you as a proper Democrat or identify Pelosi as a proper Democrat. Exactly. But the vast majority of the people, and, and most polls show this, are actually far more pragmatic in their views of things. And it doesn't take them very much to move to one place or another, depending upon how it affects them personally. Yeah, and, you know, you know, when people begin to to think about that, and again talk reasonably about all these issues, and understand also that I think um, one of the things that gets lost in this whole process is the negotiation process and how it works, and that if if you have a goal, you don't start by asking for the goal. You start by asking for something more extreme than the goal, and through the art of compromise and negotiation, you can hopefully get to where it is you want to be right know. and so when when for example we went back and we sort of looked at how uh, the ACA you know Obamacare was created Uh, I think personally one of the reasons that we didn't have a public option back then is because President Obama started too close to his goal and had to kind of negotiate it away to get a compromise and that if he had stood more firmly on it there may have been Uh, a chance of getting that public option. And we're in the same place today. When you take a look at all the the various, you know, uh, plans that when people are screaming for Medicare for all, well, most Americans don't want that. But if you don't start asking for that, you don't even get what most Americans want.
0: Exactly. So in
2: a campaign, it's also, it's also part of marketing, you know, what it is that you are are proposing now. And, And I think people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, are, are smart enough to, to know that they're not going to get that in Congress. They've yeah. been, they know how it works. But if they start screaming that, then maybe they can get enough of a compromise to get something that's better than what we have now.
1: Yeah. And another interpretation of that I've heard is that they don't actually believe, and obviously I don't know the validity of this argument, but it's just something that I have heard, is to get recognized as a candidate. You need people to look at you legitimately and also be in the news and the Twitterverse enough. Mm -hmm. And that happens by being on the more extreme end. A lot of the centrist candidates, just by means of not having that eye-catching, you know, perfect title appeal aren't getting the coverage they need to be successful. And so A, it could be because in order to reach a compromise somewhere in the middle, you have to start very left or you have to be very left to get the coverage you need to then get up in the polls.
2: Or a combination of the two of them. Some or, yeah, the
1: some, some nice yeah.
0: mixture. Yeah. At, at the same time, I think it perpetuates a dangerous illusion because I pe- people like uh, John Delaney and, and Michael Bennett have been booed for saying they don't want Medicare for All at, mm-hmm. at uh, you know, Democratic conventions and things like that. And I, I'm personally a Michael Bennett fan. I think he's, like, so amazing. But um, mm-hmm. I feel like when you have incidents like that, it, it perpetuates this idea that, there's, that the majority is this more progressive stance when that's not, that's not reality. I think um, you have organizations like uh, JSA, Junior Statesmen of America. If you look into the intricacies of, of organizations like JSA that are supposed to be youth-driven, citizen, you know, all of all these welcome, it's, again, it's a liberal echo chamber. That's what it ends up being. And that's what it is. And I think it's dangerous in that way because it perpetuates this idea um, or this illusion that it's, uh, you know inclusive and it's it has diversity of thought right. but that's not necessarily the case
2: it's really a hunt for more people on the republican side to join it's a lot harder to get republican conservatives to join um, a because they do feel that they're outnumbered and mm-hmm. they get defensive but also because they also they, they don't feel they 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 see what you've just explained that a lot of times these organizations tend to be organized by people who are more left-leaning and therefore they don't really want to join it. And we see it in, in Congress. Nobody wants to talk to the other side. They used to go to lunch together. They used to go to dinner together. That's one of the things that Better Angels is trying to do, to try to depolarize, A, yourself, and there's actually a workshop called Depolarizing Yourself.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah.
2: And and then helping to depolarize conversation. And by depolarizing conversation, depolarizing others in terms yeah. of that i they listen to you.
0: Yeah, so I think the question becomes what is a constructive space for dialogue, right? And um I think, you know, you mentioned it like it's not a debate, like as as someone who I put I, I compete, you know, in on my school debate team at like a pretty high level. Um, you know, I compete in Molly as well, like at a pretty high level. And I've seen like what I think a systematic problem, I guess, is the right word to describe it, that doesn't get addressed, is that in high school, a lot of people that are politically active are those people in debate and in law UN. And I had tournaments every weekend, and it's hard to break out of a mindset of where it's win or lose, not compromise or not discussion. It's it's, it's pretty hard. Even like, even law UN is supposed to be like a cooperative activity. It's it's nuts. who can take the
1: most active leadership position, make the loudest, most powerful speeches. And honestly, to Mm -hmm. critique the not in group ideas the best. Right. If
0: anything, it's this nuanced public speaking and idea simulation. Exactly. Thing. No, I mean, that's just that's just my point. It's, it's that like when you have activities like debate and all you win that are like that make up the core of politically engaged youth, mm-hmm. and it's in a mindset and perspective of win or lose. Like I grew up with that perspective, being right. so involved in these activities. Mm-hmm. It took a lot for me to to break out of that. And I think that a lot of other people don't even really have that chance. So I think normalizing bipartisan spaces of discussion are very important.
2: I, I taught in three different high schools. I taught in a high school in the Bronx, uh, which is predominantly Black and Puerto Rican at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught in, a high, in two high schools in Westchester, one of which Woodlands High School was mm-hmm. probably a, a model for integration in high schools in this country both economically and uh, ethnically. Um, and, and then I ended up teaching at Scarsdale, which is not exactly a model of diversity. And, and it's interesting because in each of those three cases, uh, what, what, you, what you said, Ria, is, is very true. Um, the competitive level of discourse and leadership at Scarsdale was much different than that in Woodlands. And it was a, a common goal, and the common goal was the integration of the school, and the common goal was the integration of ideas and working with each other for each other. Uh, it's, it was an, it was a really interesting place. It was actually uh, one of the first high schools in the country to be integrated after Brown versus the Board of Education. It was actually created to do just that, and so lots of programs came out of there where kids would work together, and they grew up together. They were friends together and you didn't have and you had an atmosphere and a culture where competitiveness was us as a school versus them in sports for example but not within and between each other as much um or not to get i have more uh, accolades than you do it's like wow you did that that's fabulous and the same thing was true in the bronx when I was there, too. Uh, We had a lot of high achieving kids. And of course, stereotypes of Bronx high schools were such that nobody really heard of that. And the newspapers didn't help either. We used to call fake news back then about the New York Times, which would talk about the violence, but not about the kids who went to Ivy League schools or did other things, you know, Mm -hmm. of note, besides sports. Um, So It really does depend on the culture of the school. And so one of the things that it's incumbent upon us as representatives from an organization like Better Angels is to understand or try to learn the culture of each school to see how it can adapt to the needs of the students and the staff of each of those schools because it can be done very differently in very different places because of the the a the level of competition, the level of labeling, uh, the level of cooperation, uh, whatever the various factors are.
1: Yeah, I think that's such an important point about school culture and how I really do think because our minds are growing so much and our characters is so shaped by the high school environment we're in, our desire to compromise or to hear the other side is also very much shaped by that experience mm-hmm. and why it's important. I think, what you said about going to the social studies um, teacher meeting and, like, getting it implemented in education, but you said this normalization, like, it should be so integrated that we don't actually, we're not conscious that it's happening, like, exposed to other viewpoints so much that it's not this edgy phenomenon of, like, oh, my God, a Republican is speaking at our school? (laughs) Like that was, as actually was, happened yeah, in my experience Look, where pe- people are flabbergasted. It, it, They're like, One post-sist. of the worst things that would ever
2: happen in this country is political correctness. And this was before anybody from any side was talking about it. It used to be a very bi- I was about to ask a
1: question issue. along those lines. It was a
2: very bipartisan issue. Um it, there was a there was a famous book written in nineteen ninety by a gentleman by the name of Nat Hentoff. He used to write for The Village Voice. All right. And he was very, very liberal. All right, and the name of the boys, the name of the, the name of the book was "Free Speech for Thee, but not for Me." That's almost thirty years ago,
1: mm-hmm.
2: where a lot of a lot of this was going on. And now, as you pointed out, if you are of the wrong uh, intellectual persuasion, you're not even allowed to talk in some colleges.
1: He, yeah, honestly. I was. Oh. Yeah, I read this really interesting book that just came out, The Assault on American Excellence, about that very point, about like, our schools becoming the wing of social movements instead of a place for young minds to develop and flourish?
0: Well,
2: the goal, you know, especially in a taught social studies, and the goal for that was to, uh, and still is when you read the standards, whether they be in New York or Connecticut or Jersey, uh, New Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um the goal is, is to, and, and they all say this virtually the same thing, they just kind of use the words a little bit differently. The goal is for students to um, find information from all sides, all right, analyze it, synthesize it, learn to understand what the other side says and why they say it, and then draw conclusions and then voice them or write them, not to have an a priori uh, theory and then go out and find information that solely proves what it is that you had in mind in the first place, which unfortunately is what we're seeing more and more of in the adult world. Mm-hmm. And it's modeled more and more in the adult world. And so we're trying to make sure that that kind of process is more learned behavior and in, in certainly starting in middle schools where kids can start to develop that kind of sense of um, cognitive understanding of things mm-hmm. and definitely in high schools. So by the time they get to college, they're of the mindset of, wait a minute, I need to hear everything before I decide. Not I've decided not to hear you because I've decided.
1: And it's very present in a lot of liberal school institutions today, but this idea of trigger warnings, yeah, especially in more liberal leaning communities, does that exist at all at Better Angels or do you think it's a barrier to free speech and expression and understanding?
2: it's it's free speech expression understanding i I don't the the idea is that there are moderators to every discussion Mm -hmm. and if somebody crosses the the protocol line by attacking that's brought back in so that's the trigger if you're going to attack somebody all right that's not why we're there we're there to to hear and listen
0: And along with that, um, I think there's been more of a discussion on the effectiveness of, like, quote-unquote safe spaces
1: Mm. and
0: whether those are something that should be uh, proliferated or not. Um, And I, I think it comes back to a matter of, you know, like, crossing lines and whether being exposed to things, even if they're harsh, is better than being, you know, quote-unquote shelter so I guess that's the question Thanks. to pose would be you know are safe spaces in their like modern in their modern like context affected what to say?
2: me it's in it's infantizing somebody it's like hello you're 20 years old you don't need a safe space the idea is to get out of safe spaces and experiment mm-hmm. and learn and figure out what you're going to do I mean this to me it, it you know goes back to some of the weird things I see about parenting that if kids let their if kids are on the street in front of their house playing, parents now get arrested. It's like, wait a minute. That's how you learn. You learn by doing. You learn by trying something new. You don't learn by being in a safe, protected, fenced off area mm-hmm. that doesn't do anything for your emotional and intellectual growth. Right? It, it just prevents you from emotionally growing or intellectually growing and, and being able to grow in the in the manner that we've been talking about, which is being open to other ideas and other new challenges.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Judith Butler and her, you know, political philosophies. She's like a very prominent um, feminist and uh, philosopher. She, you know, argues that um, this concept of like we is hard to establish because mm-hmm. um, she, like her her, Argument or like what her the interpretation of her argument is is that like if there's a discussion happening about um, like police brutality that you know white people will uh, or or people who aren't black will never understand the. The, the implications of it in the way that black people do. And her, so like that interpretation has been used to justify a lot of like, you know, you're this race or you're this gender, or you're this whatever, you shouldn't be allowed to be part of this discussion. I think that you've seen that a lot too, you know, in politics. You do see and
2: that's, that. an unfor- that's an unfortunate thing um, because people, yeah. are people are never going to learn or people never going to understand unless they're part of that conversation. You don't own sets of experiences. Um, glued everybody. From a conversation because of that generality that's another version of labeling which i can never agree with you know so i have a problem with that because i don't you know to me the exclusion of people in a conversation is never the right thing to do
0: yeah that's a
1: good point also to your point like the most powerful tool is hearing from the eye like you you can dispute facts but you can't deny personal experience right and so like that's also why cross-partisan organizations are so important i was reading this article the new york times this research group that's based at the at u chicago and in correspondence with like the helena institute raised three million dollars to send 526 u.s voters to a resort together and a lot of them to the point we were talking about said my opinion isn't vastly changed, but my respect for the other and understanding of why they believe what they believe has changed. And I think that will better society as a whole. Absolutely. They didn't label people and people kind of figured out over time, but realizing that you have more commonalities and differences with an individual or a group that media and society tells you your polar opposites.
2: And that's, that's important. It's to be told that you're a polar opposite when you're in fact not really a polar opposite.
1: Yeah.
2: You have a different opinion. There's a difference between viewpoint, which is supported by evidence, and opinion, which is what's flying off the top of your head in some emotional response mm-hmm. to something. So yeah. to develop viewpoints based upon hearing all the sides excludes exclusion.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's an important distinction to make. And um, I think o- often uh, when people say, I've experienced exposure to this point of view or experienced exposure to this, this specific point of view or opinion, um, like what constitutes exposure? Because I think the way we learn about uh, communist countries in um, American history classes um, is, you know, is something that has been under scrutiny. And um, I, uh, after like reading about it, learning about it, and, you know, I'm pretty like politically informed as well. And, you know, the way I read about it through media, when I, I ended up visiting Cuba last year and the way I experienced Cuba was infinitely different than the way I learned about it. Mm-hmm. No matter I had the same experience it. a few mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. 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 But so I think, you know, authentic like engagement is important. And this, well, that's,
2: that's, as I said, uh, visiting Jordan was not the Jordan I was told
1: Education being used as a weapon as much as it is a tool, and how it can be used to politic to, to further an agenda, and also further necessitate organizations like Better Angels, we because to, edu- education is furthering the divide instead right. of we bridging to, it.
2: We have to be very wary of that, and I think that's a very important point, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I'm going to stress tomorrow at that meeting. Um, you know as teachers as i I said it earlier and i'll conclude with this as teachers our job is not to not to tell anybody what to think it's to help them learn how to think Mm -hmm. and if we do that then we're doing our job if we're not doing that then we've failed
1: thank you so much for joining us well
2: I, i appreciate
1: the invitation
0: That's all for today with Next Gen Politics. Special thanks to our editor Clara Medina, our producer Sanda Balaban, and to Jeremiah Hunt for our opening and closing music. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. This is Maggie Yu for Next Gen Politics.